Hello and welcome to the 179th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they bet to start making games, what their emphasis are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, so only focus on development themselves, and the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Deep Sixed by Little Red Dog Games. Ryan! Who are you, and what do you do? Uh, hi, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me. My name is uh, Ryan Hewer, and I am the project director for Deep Sixth with Little Red Dog Games. Project director? Is that like a... It's not quite a producer, is it? You're more... You're actually directing the course of the things. I'll tell you what it is. It's an yeah. arbitrary title I've given myself um, <laughs> to answer questions just like this one. Who are you? <laughs> Little Red Dog Games is my company. Um, yeah. Uh, we founded it back in uh, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, Deep Six is our, gosh, I guess it's our second commercial title. Mm-hmm. Um, and while it is my company, we're all very much on the same level in uh, in our company. And, you know, I could call myself president or CEO or, you know, King Pooba or, or whatever. Um, but but project director is nice and disarming. I'm the guy that uh, the that design Deep Six is responsible for making sure that Deep Six is is meeting up to our plan, and uh, who is ultimately responsible for making sure Deep Six is the success that it is. Excellent, well, fantastic response to the first question. Well done. We start off with a good right, start. Passed. You passed. All right. Yeah. So this is number two incoming. Here he comes. How did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? Oh my gosh. Um, okay. How do we start? Um, we, I guess I, we're all self-taught, uh, developers, which is, is pretty unusual. Um, we got our start back about, oh, probably close to nine, well, maybe, maybe eight years ago. Um, and we were making point and click adventure games in a, an engine that's not really used too much these days called Adventure Game Studio. Uh, it's a great engine for when you're starting out or if you are a point-and-click aficionado. Um, and uh, uh, I, I wanted to try and make a game that was the, the best possible point-and-click I knew how to make. And the goal was I'd commit you know, a year and a half to making this game. But I wasn't quite confident enough in, in my skills to sell it for money. So instead we called it a charity fundraiser. And we said, here's the game. Um, if you buy it, that's great. Um, but the money's going to go to charity. It's going to go to um, a uh, blindness charity called the Foundation Fighting Blindness based out of Canada. And along the way, you know, I worked with some fantastic people who brought some great skills to the project. And it was great. You know, Conspirocracy was that first game. You can't, it's pretty hard to find these days. It's only one or two vendors still selling it. Mm. And, uh, and from there, we kind of said, you know, that was a lot of fun. Let's let's do it again. But this time, can we make an actual commercial game? And so we uh, we went ahead and built Rogue State. It took us two years to make Rogue State. It came out in 2015. And it uses the same engine, the Adventure Game Studio engine, to make a turn-based strategy game where you play the role of a Middle Eastern despot. And uh, the game was surprisingly well received we turns out that we were capable of making a commercial game and so then the next question is well i don't want to stop yet do you guys know of course not so 
um, what can we do? What are we capable of if we actually have good tools to work with? And that's where Deep Six comes into play. You know, this is a game that now is real time and it, uh, it incorporates both 2D and 3D elements. And we just invested a whole lot more of ourselves into Deep Six. And we are just so excited to see the, um, the results of that. And the response that we've been hearing from people has been phenomenal. Yeah, and we'll definitely be delving deep into Deep Sixth um, uh, later on in the show. But uh, I just want to ask you a little bit about you know the point and click adventures because they sure. are uh, a genre that um, I loved when I was uh, 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 in the early nineties and stuff when um, you had things like um, well, I was going to say Police Quest and stuff like that. They weren't really point and click. They were kind of. Like that, they count. We, yeah, they do count, uh, and also then the King's Quest. Although I never really got into those because I don't remember them arriving in Atari ST because that's what I was. I was an SD kid. I wasn't a PC person until much later on. Um, so yeah, and then we have games like, um, uh, of course, Monkey Island and Lucasfilm games as well. But um, they certainly took on a life of their own. And but then they took a turn south pretty quickly, didn't they? There was a particular game involving puzzle that had cat hair <laughs> yes yes we all know the one and that was that's the one that's pointed at again what were you thinking um so how have you found the the renaissance or the reappearance of these whereas people are, uh, are actually understanding uh more empathetic to the player's plight so to speak how have you found that? I mean, obviously, that's because when you did it eight years ago, that's when just when it was turning around. So, so were you, you did you feel like you were fixing what went wrong? No, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I think we mm. started with point-and-click adventure games because they were the ones that were most accessible to us. Mm. You know, our our experience with technology at the time was uh, was limited, and the 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 great thing about the point-and-click. Um, mechanics are is you can really focus on story uh, and you can put story first and foremost and and puzzle design first and foremost and for people like me who are game designers um, not having to worry about you know compatibility between systems and uh, and you know your 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 art assets and, and everything else and being able to focus on just story and your puzzles and whether or not the game is engaging and that sort of thing. It's it was a great place to, to get started. Um, you know, as we know, uh, point and click games they had their their time, and then the demand started to coming in to use more and more visual elements and improve our performance. And you know, people started to turn away from that. Mm-hmm. And now, as you say, we are seeing a new renaissance. I'm not sure if there's a a specific point and click renaissance as much as there is a a growing market for all types of games. Mm. And it's never been easier for fussy gamers or niche gamers to find something that speaks to their own personal interests. Yes. So whatever it is that you want to be making now, you can find a market for that. Whereas 20 years ago, I'm, I'm not sure you could say that you really had to cater to a large distribution, large distribution networks, wholly centralized distribution networks, and uh, and you had to basically make something that a, a vendor would stock on the shelves. Now I can make a game about anything, and somebody somewhere is going to connect with that. So we, as designers and developers, can now focus on what what are the stories we want to tell, rather than what are the stories that are going to sell. 
Indeed. Uh, and that's, that's a wonderful point to make, is that stories wanting to tell, tell from any point of view. Uh, for example, we had, uh, on the show a couple of weeks back, we had a, a, a guest that had a, a game called Attack of the Earthlings. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's, it's XCOM in reverse. You play the aliens. Oh, um, you, okay. You, and you're taking out the humans as they're rip, raping your planet <laughs> with <laughs> all its resources. Uh, okay. And they're going, okay, well, we're not letting you do that. <laughs> so, you know, the humans are the invaders, not the other way around. But rather than taking over the aliens, they're just sort of taking all the resources from the planet and then blasting off. Uh, fat chance. Uh, <laughs> so, but it, it's, it gives you a, they give them, you know, gave them an opportunity to make a game that's about from a perspective that years and years back they're like yeah, this ain't gonna sell you know kind of thing yeah because you know who wants to be a bug ugly alien like well who wouldn't be <laughs> who wants to control these and you know it does some very odd things i mean yeah it, it eats people and stuff like this and it's, well you know they put it on themselves and um so yeah it's it's we're in a, a, an amazing place games wise and content wise i mean firewatch being a good example or gone home or the stanley parable or mm-hmm. you know all these games um Papers, Please is a classic example of a game. 20 years ago, I'm going to make a game about a border, border post that you have to let Eastern Europeans in and out, get out. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? And, and now we can look back on this stuff. We can look back on... We're in an age where a walking simulator can be con- considered a seminal work from this, yes. Uh, yes. From this year. I mean, yeah. anyone that argues that games aren't art... Yeah. Um, has to then explain to me, to yeah. my satisfaction, then why are so many artful, um, thoughtful, you know, walking simulators yeah. considered to be so successful? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. We we've come a long way from the the shooter days, that's for sure. Well, there's anything wrong with shoot 'em ups? I love my up and downies. They're great. <laughs> that's my technical term for vertical shooters: up and downy. Right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they all have their place and they all have their depths or lack of, it doesn't matter, but uh, it's an amazing and broad, broad, um, uh, medium now more than ever. And that's something that we can thank good old games, steam and other outlets that, uh, that allows you to publish games without the massive, uh, outlay and the publishers because they had to have boxes that you can fit the small family in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and manuals that were rivaling the Bible or indeed Tolstoy. So <laughs> I'm looking at you, Falcon Four. Anyway, um, so third question then is: uh, What are your biggest influences as a creator? Oh gosh, um, I uh, I know uh, that in terms of like big picture, where where we want to see ourselves. Um, the Endless series, um, Dungeon of the Endless and uh, uh, Endless Space. and uh, I love Endless Space too. Oh, Sorry, I just go, the, yeah. The, this is a company that um, is definitely uh, a, a real influence to us. Wow. Um, but in terms of the, the most recent products that we've been developing, um, the influences, the comparisons being made are, are apt. Um a lot of Deep Six um, has its roots from FTL, from Keep Talking and No One Explodes, and Nobody Explodes, and from uh, uh, Papers, Please, as well. I can um, see a often, lot of that. It's very dry humor. 
but yeah, it, it is. Yeah. It's it's the humor, and also with Papers Please, it's very much a game that's focused on you're in the action, and you got to almost pull yourself out of the action to review text and instructions and procedures, and then go back into the action. And uh, and when that comparison was made between that game and, and ours, um, I was a little confused as to you know why a science fiction game. Um, about convict is is compared to a, a border crossing simulation, but um, but now I get it. I mean, it it actually does share a lot of the the same uh, blood in it. Um, mm. Mm. FTL is it comes up a lot, and keep talking and nobody explodes um, for sure. And that this is a game about uh, dealing with a high stress situation and performing uh, differentiated tasks by basically stepping out of the action and taking a look at a manual. Yeah. In terms of uh, um, non-digital inspiration, uh, when we started kind of putting together the concept for Deep Sixed, we were really looking at um, Vlada Shvatel's, and apologies if I if I butchered that name, I believe it's Polish. I think everyone um, does, don't worry, he's used to it now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, uh, the board game Space Alert, and Space Alert is is a brilliant, brilliant game where it's hilarious. It's so a number funny. of people yeah. you're all sitting together mm-hmm. and you're all trying to keep a dysfunctional spaceship um, intact and mm. address threats as they're coming at you. And we wanted to say, you know, what are the best parts of this and how do we distill that to a single player digital experience? And I think uh, that's very much what Deep Six feels like. It's it's a terrific, terrific game. Um, I've uh had many an argument flare up. I said, didn't I? Didn't we we yeah. agreed. <laughs> we agreed you were going we to get plan. we had a plan but you decided to what was the word you use? That's right. Improvise. <laughs> what happens when you improvise? Did we say did we why are you there? Why are you there? <laughs> Wonderful experience, and uh, it can make or break friendships sometimes. But uh, you end up laughing at the end of it because it is, you know, ludicrous, and right. it does put you into ridiculous situations. Uh, but um, no, I can definitely see the influence there. So it's it's it was wonderful to hear that you bought big board and stolen maybe from all sorts of um, sources not just from other video games but other types of games as well mm-hmm. um, I know the the, the, um, the board game scene over the last 10 years has turned into something that no one no one saw coming <laughs> no one <laughs> maybe incredible. some yeah it is incredible I mean you know you see in Kickstarter you see a board game and they they raise three million dollars three million dollars for a board game right What's going on? Yeah. You know, the game's by Eric Lang. It's the Rising Sun, and that's the game that recently came out. And that's, yeah, $3 million. Like, why? Because it's, it's Eric. <laughs> right. <laughs> the game's really good. So, yeah, it's amazing um, to, to see that and also to see it spill over into both realms to the point where you actually have apps running the board games. It's just like, well, yeah, I don't know what to say about that, but I mean, that's a good thing. It's not a, not a negative thing, but it's just like, well, I don't know where, where to turn, which a video game, what's a board game. I don't it know. It up a whole lot of new opportunities that weren't there before. It does. It's it very exciting. Excellent answer. Move on to the fourth question then. And this one's difficult to answer because you might offend someone, but don't worry. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? 
Okay, here we go. Um, Secret Developer Crush. Oh, going. Here we go. No, um, this is uh, this is an individual that that I'm going to wager has never been answered as as to that question. Okay. Um, and I I want to draw people's attention to this guy because this is um, an individual who has a touch of genius to him. His name is Cole Jeffries, and he runs a company called ColePower.com. C O L E, um, which is a, a clever pun. And I guess why I I think to myself, man, I wish I was at this guy's level, is he made a game called Concrete Jungle. And okay. Concrete yeah. Jungle is um, a city planning deck building game. But that's not what's interesting about it. What's interesting about this guy is he's a one man everything. Um, the the game is slick. It's very very professional, um, and. All of the incredibly beautiful, stylized um, pieces that are in this game have all been hand-drawn by him. And for years, we've been just watching all the detailing that comes into him. Uh, this guy is not just developer. He is an artisan um, at a completely different level. And, uh, and again, I think Concrete Jungle right now is his, his most successful piece. But when you meet one person that can literally do it all, um, every last part of it, it's almost sickening in a way. It's uh, it's frustrating, but uh, but more power to it. When I because uh, I teach game development, and when I show examples of um, one person indie uh, developers who can squirrel themselves away um, for three, four, five years. Like uh, Phil Fish did with Fez, or um, the gentleman that made uh, Stardew Valley, and then come out with something that is just so polished and flawless. It's it's great. Polymaths is what you, is a, is a phrase I've recently discovered. A Renaissance person, someone who's yes. got who's able to almost turn a hand to anything, and. Uh, you know, the, the, the culture is not really our culture. Uh, I mean, I say our Western culture It's not really geared towards them. I don't know what to do with them. Uh, I'm genuinely saying that. it's a sweeping statement. I've recently read some articles about it. Like, does, can we just leave polymaths alone? You know, why are you trying to put them in a box all the time? Let Give them, them some money. Send them off. Send them off. See yeah. what they can do. See what they can do because they're amazing. You know, um, I think all of us have a little bit of that. You know, we're able to have like a skill set, horrible phrase, you know what I mean? But it's, yeah. we all have that. We all have some of multi-task skills, not simultaneous skills. You know what I'm talking about. They have a, 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 some have more tools than others. Um, but there are some people who are really just like, yeah, I can, you know, speak seven languages and, and play the lute and God knows what else. And, you, you know, you encounter them and they're very rare. But when when they do like a, like a, like you said, just give them some money and let them get on with it, and they'll make something. <laughs> they'll, they'll they'll send a car into space, and you know that's fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. So yeah, that's that's a really good answer. Concrete jungle, did you say? Did, yeah. Is it, is it a board game? I'm, you haven't really specified. It's a, no, it's a it's a PC game. Okay. I'm not sure if it's out for other platforms. It's a. Right. It's uh, it's a computer game and it's a uh, 
it's really just about placing pieces um, that are parts of a city on a grid and they affect other pieces and you're going to increase the value of that city as the board moves under you. And it's just weirdly satisfying. Um, mm. I would, I'd put it almost in the casual category, mm. which is what makes it such an interesting choice, in, in my opinion, for someone that inspires you. Is it's actually somebody that makes casual games, but he makes them so beautifully and elegantly mm. that, uh, that I just think to myself, boy, I'll, I bet I could learn a whole lot from this person. No, because you mentioned cards there. I thought, oh, is that a... That a yeah, it's yeah. like he uses a, a card-driven mechanic to it, yeah, like a CCG. Yeah. Excellent. I was, I was recently talking to someone about the concept of card, how cards interact with, you know, make a game and they use cards and they have various symbols and that sort of thing and interactions. And someone sort of basically pointed out that, yes, it's programming. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. It's just a very analog version of programming. Like, all right. Yeah, it's just basically that's how it works. You create these patterns. And then there's more patterns upon more patterns, and that's how they work. Sometimes they, you know, as I say work, sometimes they're broken. That's when the maths don't work or something's not balanced properly. But ultimately, that's what they do. Amazing. Um, so, okay, well, last question in the first half to you made it. Well done. Thank you. Um, what are you playing right now? Oh, gosh. Um, when I have time to play, which Indeed. Is, is rare... Um, I, I'm enjoying, uh, Divinity, uh, Original Sin 2, okay. which is just incredible, um, what they have done, not just as a, as a standalone game, which is, a definitely, you know, one of the, the finest games to come out last year, um, but also in how far they have pushed, um, their ambitions from the first game. Uh, I'm I'm still playing my way through it, and I've just been blown away with it. Mm. Uh, I'm playing Subnautica, which the the final build, the the 1.0 version, was released quite recently, uh, and it's it, it, I I can't imagine anyone anywhere not loving Subnautica. It's Can just you so... describe it to us. So, yeah, yeah. Um, for those that aren't familiar, it's uh, a game where you. Uh, are playing in first person and you were in a spaceship and the spaceship has crashed into an ocean planet and you pop out of this uh, this escape pod and you look around and you've got this beautiful um, full of life biome underwater and you explore the oceans and you harvest materials and you um, build basically a little surviving basis, a survival game and you, you just try and build more and more and more in order to keep yourself alive and then eventually find your way off of this planet that you're marooned on. Mm-hmm. And it's done in such a beautiful, colorful, believable way. Um, and the animal designs are fascinating and the environment is incredibly immersive. It's a game that... Uh, you realize like this was built for VR, and it just looks so um, rewarding. And so I'm, I mean, the the game has sold uh, millions of of copies in their their opening week. I'm sure the studio was incredibly successful. Uh, more power to them. But uh, Subnautica, I think, is also one of the the finest games to come out recently. 
And what else am I enjoying? Doing Subnautica, I'm doing Divinity. Oh, and I'm finally getting to uh, fuss around with um, Planet Coaster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is um, basically taking the old roller coaster tycoon concepts of building a theme park, researching new roller coaster types, testing them out, and trying not to kill the people that are um, coming to experience your attractions. And uh, again, Planet Coaster has, has done it such a wonderfully well mm. that uh, it's just a great game. It's just very, very enjoyable. It's amazing how Frontier managed to do that and Elite Dangerous at the same time. <laughs> yes, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, how, how did you... How, this came out of nowhere. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just... And you, you... You know, Elite Dangerous is a wonderful, brave concept. And like, tell you what, let's just release this in bits. What? Well, if we we have to release... You know, we have to wait until we finished all the stuff we want to do to this. It won't be out for another 10 years. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so we measured just do it in bits. And honestly, people just didn't understand it when they came out and a lot of reviewers saying, there's no content. Like, yeah, I know. That's what they, oh, never mind. Yeah, that's what bits mean. <laughs> that's what it's bits. funny how this has turned into now probably the most popular business model is, you know, releasing product A. But don't worry, if you stick it out with us and buy A, one day you'll get to see product B. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, Paradox um, used that model, I think. Yeah, yeah, they um, they call them expansions, but it's like, wait, this is just regular. Yeah, yeah, it's just regular content. <laughs> it just seems like you're just adding mechanics. Yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah. And the funny thing is, especially with uh, Stellaris, I mean, I'm a sucker for it every time. Yeah, every time yeah. they put out a Stellaris uh, yeah. expansion, yeah, I, I just hand over my wallet. I'm like, you, <laughs> it's going to be worth it for me. The game is just that enjoyable. Yeah, um, it's, it's, sure. it's, it's amazing, amazing stuff. So, yeah, excellent um, uh, 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 selection of games there. Really good. I mean, I did back uh, Divinity uh, on the Kickstarters and I uh, met them, uh, the developers a couple of times at PAX. Lovely people. Um, really, really care about the genre that mm-hmm. they focused on. They just, uh, they really get it. You know, they know... They're not. They're not everyone is all good, and not everyone's all bad. It's. it's uh, that's really important that they actually have characters that are likable, or indeed also detestable. Um, but to the, you know, every, every every person you encounter has its own flaws, including the one you're controlling, right? Or the ones you're controlling. But yeah, I, uh, I enjoy games with moral ambiguity. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, Portal had that. Absolutely. People don't really realise that, like. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Who really is the bad guy in that one? I don't know. If there is one, I don't know. Anyway, that's the end of the first half. Well done. We've made it. Well, uh, yes, and now we can go deep into deep sixth in part two of the show. Thank you. 
So, first uh, question isn't a question. Uh, regular listeners will know this is referred to as the Zeroth question, which is indeed a Nazimov reference. And the question is, or request, I should say, is please tell us what is Deep Sixed? Okay, well, uh, Deep Sixed is a uh, space survival game. Um, you play the role of a convict who, um, due to uh, making some mistakes in her employment, uh, finds herself charged with negligence. And as a result, she has to work as an involuntary employee or a slave, in other words, uh, for a large um, mysterious corporation known as Astra Interstellar Solutions. And um, this company, they, uh, they take her and they move her to this distant nebula and they put her in a space station alone with a plucky AI and say, you have, uh, we'll give you some missions. We mostly just want you to map things in this nebula. Don't ask any questions as to why, just do as you're told. And as the player, you are going to be sent out on missions to explore the nebula and discover all the secrets that are waiting for you within. And unbeknownst to you, the spacecraft that you've been given is a pile of trash. And it's going to start to fall apart on you. And so as you're trying to complete these mission objectives, things are going to go wrong. And you're going to be forced to divert your attention from whatever you were doing to fix things. Um, we like to say that uh, Deep Six is not a game for people that want to be uh, stalwart space captains. It's a, it's a game for the, the engineers out there. It's a game for the people that think that O'Brien is a more interesting character than Cisco. It's, uh, it's a game that uh, really puts a wrench in your hand, gives you a complex system, and says, you go figure it out. Yeah, the, the laser gun... Uh, <laughs> alignment thing. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah, well, you got, you got to you got to align these things because you're losing calibration on this. Here's a really weird and complicated thing to figure out how you do that. Have fun. It's just good luck. Good luck. <laughs> well, actually, no, because <laughs> you're not going to get much of that from the AI. Who's the AI? Is just what's with like what script? What are you talking about? There's no yeah. script. <laughs> I'm not just going through the motions. I'm not just an advanced script. I am definitely sentient. I am definitely sentient. <laughs> um, so there's a massive bunch of humor. We're going to talk about it later on. But uh, before we do, I want to talk a bit about the mechanics of the game and what my yep. own sort of experience and sort of get to grips with what you've made here. So my first technical design question to you is this. How have you found making a time-sensitive point-and-click adventure? Because to our dear audience, the way Deep Six works is that ostensibly uh, uh, the view is actually a static image of a uh, some place in this spacecraft, and uh, a lot of them look similar, which is deliberate. I get that. Um, a lot of them aren't, and uh, there's various bits. And you have to navigate your way around this not small spacecraft. It is quite, although it may be a heap of junk, it's still large, and you're on your own, running, running around this thing. And I just wondered, 
you've actually drifted away from script <laughs> no pun intended uh to where normal point and click adventures where you have there is no real time mechanic there's no dexterity required whereas with deep six you do have that how have you found designing that um I guess from the get-go, we knew that we wanted to go with something that where real-time matters. Um, we think that that raises the stakes. And we don't make games that are relaxing by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, very few games we've ever made I would consider to be, even when we make games that are turn-based, my goal is just to keep your adrenaline going a little bit with everything that you do, every decision that you make. Um, Deep Six, I think, is just an extension of that. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't fit into molds neatly. When asked to describe, you know, what genre is this, uh, we kind of have to look at each other and say, well, it's a mixture of this, but it's got, it's definitely got a feel for that as well. Um, comparisons have been made to a sci fi trading company, um, comparisons have been made to. Uh, as I think I said earlier, keep talking and nobody explodes. FTL, um, other other games. This one is a bit more point and clicky in that mm. you have parts of a spaceship that you disassemble by clicking on them. You've got parts of the ship that you interact with again by clicking. You keep an inventory and you can move things in and out of your inventory and so forth. Um, I think that we, in many ways, have. We could well have alienated a lot of point-and-click players by saying this is actually an action game. This is a game where you cannot take, you cannot let your attention wander. Um, but uh, and we may also have alienated action gamers by saying this is a game that um, has a lot of a point-and-click feel to it, even though it's not a traditional point-and-click game. But at the same time, I think we've also attracted people that are looking for innovation in both industries, in, in both genres, rather. So uh, I think it's different. And that's really what we do at Little Red Dog, is we only make games that are different. If if we can point at this game and say, yeah, but that's been done, we're not going to touch it. Excellent. No, I, I just find it fascinating that it looks like, uh, in many regards, it's not completely, but it looks like a point and click. feels like one, but it isn't. No. <laughs> And it's, that's what really drew me to it, and that's why I was so happy to have you on the show because this is people need to play this game because it's unlike most things you've encountered. It, it is not what you think. You see a static image of it, it's told you with most video games, it told you very little, but this really tells you nothing what, what you think it is. Yeah, uh, it's amazing what you've achieved on that. So, um, next question there's a balance between needing to keep the ship oper operational and then, which you alluding to the engineer thing, which is most engineers uh, focus on the fact that it's working, yeah? I can make it better. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so optimization. Yeah. So there's like that desire to not only fix it, but actually really fix it, you know. Uh, and... Um, it's quite a challenge between needing to spend resources to optimize something versus keeping it just afloat. Uh, and it's quite a challenge, really. So how do you think Deep Six trades one against the other, if at all? About midway through development, um, you know, we're playtesting the game and I know every system backwards and forwards. So I'm, I'm breezing through the content 
And I'm at a point now where I'm snapping my fingers saying, now what? Now what? Now what's now what am I going to do? And uh, and it felt wrong. It felt like there was downtime, that there was dead time in the game. And I knew that while for novice players, you know, that's time spent learning the systems and learning the ropes and so forth. We also know from experience with Rogue State that players are smart and adapt adaptable. And they're going to uh, figure out these systems really, 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 really quickly. And when they do, they're going to burn through this game. So um, about midway through development, the decision was made that we need another kind of uh, activity, and that would be maintenance. We want to reward you for being um, very, very good at repairing your spacecraft by giving you a little bit more time to fix something before it will go wrong later on. And we put in some just regular everyday maintenance activities, including recalibrating your lasers, polishing your power nodes and redistributing your power nodes and getting that right. And for people who are very orderly and, and fastidious, um, that's going to be a compulsion is, okay, problem solved, crisis averted, let's pull out that rag and polish some power nodes. <laughs> and it's one of those things where, like, you can imagine an engineer really doing that, being like, well, I could go for a coffee break or I could get ahead of the next thing before that breaks down. Yeah, and I'm I'm really glad that that system was embraced by our players because mm. uh, I think it was risky. I think it it could have easily felt like make work projects, but every single activity there has a, a very very specific purpose to it, and it, it feels natural in my opinion. I think it's a wonderful model. Uh, Deep Six is a wonderful model of demonstrating the idea of cause and effect. Yes. It's a, it's a phrase that people use, but I don't think they understand it. They use it, and then they, they think, well, I know it's a universal, sorry, correction, almost universal rule. Let's not go there. <laughs> but um, it's, there is, you know, um, uh, a, a, a cause and effect. Whereas this, it's like, yeah, well, what's, what's causing the aim of my laser to go off? Oh, that's right, I haven't got enough power in it. Maybe I should change and turn that off. And it's just, it's so, and it's just so um, pure in that regard. There's no ambiguity in that. The ambiguity is in, well, when things break down, and I mean when, you need to find the stuff. I mean, when I had downtime in inverted commas and in Deep Six, and when I first started playing it, I would just go wandering. I just got wandering around the ship trying to find stuff. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Where's my wrench? Where'd I put my wrench? Exactly. Where's that? What's that? Do I need that for later? Oh, okay. It's googly, I think. Okay, we'll have that. <laughs> you know, you don't know. Pipe. I'm going to need a pipe. And there was duct tape as well, I think. There is duct tape. Fairly yep. certain there is, yeah. You can't be an engineer without duct tape. Or at least the ship is breaking down. You need duct tape just to and fix something. Ooh. What I always enjoy is seeing how players um, apply these tools in surprising ways. Mm. You know, when there's a leak on the reactor, uh, we had a tester um, try and close it with duct tape. And we're like, <laughs> oh, you know, that's actually a pretty good idea. Let's just build that into the game. And so now what you can do is when you have a reactor leak, you can actually use duct tape to <laughs> fix that leak. Yeah. Um, it won't last very it long. You'll probably do. buy yourself a a mission or two before it goes completely um just completely uh, wrong yeah but uh but that was something that we wanted to incorporate into the game as well is the idea of you've got your 
you slap it together with glue shoddy fixes and then you've got your thoughtful i'm gonna take some time and do it the right way kind of fixes the problems and you can actually just take away what you repaired and i think and then just do a better job oh yeah like, yeah so like, you could you could yeah. put in a, a bit of patchwork solution yeah then step away from it and then when you have the time yeah. go back and actually fix it the right way for sure that's why um, I, I mean, i've definitely done that like i haven't got time i haven't got time we're, we're going to die because of something's happening outside I won't say what for fear of spoiling it yeah um but uh yeah so there's there is stuff that happens in this like what you know it's just so good so good in that regard so yeah um third question then um as the player you've already mentioned this we've alluded to this but i want to go deeper into it as the player becomes more familiar with the ship the act of navigating through it and finding things becomes less problematic yep um how do you maintain the challenge of the game, knowing that the player is familiar with the ship's quirks? At least they think they are. Well, I mean, the game the game gets harder whether you learn or not. Mm. Um, so inevitably you'll get into a situation where um, some things will be predictable. Like when you start your mission, you know that the first thing you got to do is grab all the items you're probably going to need, go rummaging through your ship before the real action starts. And maybe get your, your power all powered up and get things allocated the right way. And then you're like, okay, now what? Now what's going to happen? But it doesn't change the fact that you could think you have it all figured out, shoot at something, and then you expect it to die quickly. And then you kind of go, oh, wait, it, nothing happened. It basically just ate my laser. And then you realize that every time you think you have it figured out, it's going to change something up on you. And in this case, we've got... Uh, space creatures, space monsters that um, that adapt, space monsters that have uh, randomized resistances and randomized strengths, um, and that aren't going to re- basically be affected by the same strategies in multiple playthroughs. So you have to figure out how to adjust on the fly. But even still, like this is a game, unlike a lot of roguelites with permadeath, you don't get a an in-game reward just for participating right now as the game stands there is no well you showed up trophy there's no um immediate uh mechanic like in dark souls where you can play the game for a long enough time that you become powerful whether you become skilled or not deep six is different deep six is a game where you're not going to get better unless you learn and the learning how a system works that is your leveling up We'll give you experience points and we'll upgrade your parts and and that kind of thing. But deep down inside, the real advantage you're going to have in that game is, oh, I now know how that system works. I don't have to look in the manual to figure out how to repair a broken hyperdrive anymore. And that is – that's just – it's what makes the game different. And it's also – what can make the game frustrating for for some yeah i mean it, it, you're we're so used to having things spoon fed yeah that to have the idea like i oh, know you you got to figure out how this uh how this works and then you're just gonna remember it what yeah that's that's it that's you just gotta remember 
you know how to put the uh, batteries back into the hyperdrive before the radiation leaks out and kills you. <laughs> but it's also a game that rewards creativity. And if you are a creative person, this is a game that will recognize that and pat you on the, be- uh, on the, the head and say, hey, good job. Mm. You know, if you realize, oh, no, my radiation scrubber is dead because uh, my universal controller is burned out, you can go find another universal controller being used in your scanning unit, cannibalize yep. that, stick it in the scrubber, and uh, and go with that. Um, for players that are even more ambitious, if you read the uh, the printed manual, you'll find information that's not in the virtual in-game manual. And that information can reveal things that uh, can give significant advantages in this game. This is a, a game that rewards the explorer and the researcher and the tinkerer. This is a tinkerer's game. Hmm. Hmm. So, my last question to you, uh, which I don't know, all good things come to an end, but uh, we do have to end eventually. And this is about, not so much the game's mechanics, but its presentation. So there's a rich vein of humour running through Deep Sixed. Yes. uh, And that makes slights against corporations and how they treat their staff. Mm Mm-hmm. More than slights, actually. (laughs) Outright. It's pretty heavy-handed, actually. It's pretty (laughs) heavy-handed. I was being generous. Um... I want to ask you, how did this element of the game spill over into the visual and sound design of it? Oh, into the visual and sound design. I wasn't expecting that. Um, as far as the the sound design, the music was all um, put together by our lead programmer, who also is an incredibly talented composer. And we knew that we wanted to go heavy on synth tones and um, ominous beats. It's It's a very... Um, I would say it's a very ominous, chiptoony sounding uh, soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the visual design, we knew that we wanted the ship to look uh, unconventional, very utilitarian too. This is a, a spaceship that has no uh, thrusters, it has no engine. Uh, so it has one purpose warp into a place, map, and leave. Mm. Um, when we were designing the spaceship, we actually modeled the entire spacecraft in papercraft and uh, and plasticine. Every element uh, was was built um, in in models around the house first before you know, we took photographs of every angle and figured out well where would we want to put this system? Where would we want to put that system? Where would these things go? And one of the things that we uh, wanted to focus on actually it was, it was a debate was. Do we put a toilet on the ship? And we thought about it. We thought, well, no, this is not a corporation that would put in any amenities to make your life easier. And they would expect you to be out there in space for no more than a couple hours at a time. So this is not a company that would invest the $200 to put a toilet on the ship. They don't um, have any need for the ship to be anything but the absolute minimum of what it has to be to do the job Mm. and so it looks cluttered it looks broken it looks like you've got cables running everywhere you've got a whole bunch of things you don't really know what what they do you're not told what they do nor do they do nor do they know what they do that's the problem like yeah and and like they'll stuff a manual in your hands and be like here you go here's your ship good luck yeah Uh, come back when you're not dead and yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think that that kind of is all part of the design. Is yes, it's futuristic, but it's not cleanly futuristic. This is it's more Star Wars than Star Trek. 
Yeah, it felt like felt like to me a cross between Silent Running and Dark Star. Yeah, old, yeah, it feels yeah. A the Dark like Star comparison has been made a, a lot, and I think it's yeah. apt. Um, yeah, I think uh, yeah, it's it definitely has that that retro futuristic thing going for it, like Silent Running as well. It's uh, it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's Firefly is what it is. Yeah. It's yeah. the kind of thing where it would feel that place grabbing a wrench and hammering away at something, being like, stupid, yeah. why won't you work? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Although it's never said that about The sound design kind of reflects that. I mean, every yeah. surface will clang or clunk. Mm. Um, you know, the, the ladder as you go up and down it makes that, you know – that heavy thunk, 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 thunk as you're, yep. you're walking down it. You can almost hear the frustration in the uh, the character's voice at every little inconvenience. And she has a very dark sarcasm to her that, um, I think unfortunately, that keeps... that's the only way I know how to write. <laughs> uh, no, but that keeps know. her going, doesn't it? I mean, it's the only thing that gets her grounded is yeah, she's her, a, you know, sardonic sort in, of... We throw in little touches, too. Like, we put a notepad in there. And we reward the player because as you um, get over milestones and accomplish things that are interesting between numerous playthroughs, when you go looking at the notepad, you'll see that she starts to doodle in it. And these doodles get weirder and weirder and weirder. And you get to see her slowly losing her mind out there in space in its own way. Because she's Uh, at it for too long. Yeah, and she's kind of neglected and forgotten about. And she's just... As far as they're concerned, she is just property, and she is treated thusly. Um, the uh, the the voice work was was fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. We really wanted uh, the the pilot to be someone that is wholly capable, but also just will not will never find her peace. She's just a very unhappy person. <laughs> well, yeah, she. Yeah, done screwed up and uh, now becoming an indentured servant, which yeah, no one exactly. wants really. It's, it's pretty horrible. In fact, the whole scene when when the opening scene because I'm not spoiling anything here. It's the whole gambit is the whole point of the pitch of the game is that the you're playing this indentured servant because she uh, she did something wrong and uh, now she's playing the ultimate price apparently, yeah, almost and, ultimate price. And this isn't this is interesting because you would think that with a game like this we would say oh but she didn't really do it. Or, oh, but you know she has to prove her innocence. No, or, no, no, no. It no, was no. all it was all a maniacal plot or, or something no. like that. No. But no, this is a game where no, you screwed up, you and screwed now you got to work it off. Yeah, enjoy, no. guys, working off somebody else's screw up. Yeah, it's, no, you, no, no. She, 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 she was never in denial about that. Yeah, that's the whole thing. But uh, no, it reminds me of scenes from Ready Player One, which is a great book. Um, and there's uh, issues of that uh, indentured servitude to a corporation to pay off one's debts mm-hmm. and it's not you know it's not unheard of uh, in history uh, and indeed many could argue it still happens to this day it probably does right. actually um and uh, but i just love the the whole you know snark against the corporations and you know uh, it just when you the insincerity the dishonesty and then the of of the hr sort of health and safety guidelines like it's really. Uh, it's, <laughs> I think it's me. Uh, I think it's yeah. it's an actual character flaw. Yeah. Uh, in that I only seem to know how to make games that I think are funny, and <laughs> uh, and I I've just come to embrace that over time. And I remember when we started with Deep Six, I I said uh, 
I want to I want to make this a much more serious and dark tone. And I think I held that position for a whole week before I started writing the way I write. Um, yeah. With uh, with Rogue State, uh, our previous game, that's a game about playing a, a Middle Eastern despot. Mm. And it's set in a in a contemporary time. Uh, and it aligns very much with current events in the Middle East in many ways. And then I just throw in a despotic chicken just for no reason because I just like to mess with my players and be like, by the way, it's it's also weirdly surrealistic. <laughs> um, and and yeah, we'll 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 have a talking chicken in the game, and you as the player just have to deal with that and be like, what is with these developers? With conspirocracy, it was about the just frustration of bureaucracy. In fact, it was a game that was inspired by Douglas Adams's own venture into text-based adventures mm. uh, a game called bureaucracy and uh, and what that game would look like today if it was made yeah and so uh conspirocracy as well as a game where i just couldn't abandon the humor like if you're not laughing i'm not laughing then what's the point so yeah, yeah. uh deep six is is funny i think it's funny um players seem to be taken to it i just love the art style and how you know you pull drawers out it's just then they're bad. The drawers don't fit properly. Yeah, it's right. is brilliant. And it's like, <laughs> wait, this doesn't close. No, no. <laughs> it, and it's just it's the classic um, sort of. I was going to use a, a, a misogynistic term. There. I don't know why. I was going to say man cave, but no. Yeah. Person cave could be any man, man, man or woman. It doesn't matter. With like drawers, we've all got them in our homes. We've got a drawer, maybe more than one. Some have got more than one. We open it and it's just full of junk. Yeah. It is of no purpose. You go, well, that's handy. I'll put that in there. I'll put it in the, the junk first thing drawer. you'll see, you open the drawer and you see an old coffee cup in it. Yeah. And like some players are going to be like, oh, what do I use this for? Like, and other players are going to look at it and be like, huh, it's just trash. <laughs> it's just trash. It's just junk. And there will be a roll of duct tape in there. Of course there yeah, is. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and And a pen. Yeah, <laughs> a pen, which is broken at one end. Right. <laughs> and it doesn't, you know, it's only got half ink left. It doesn't really write properly. But you kept it, right? Of course you did. Yeah. Because you never know when you need a pen. <sighs> so, well, that's it, Ryan. It's been fantastic having you on. Deep Sixth is out now on Windows PC. Uh, Windows PC, uh, it's on Mac, it's on mm-hmm. Linux. Yeah. Uh, you can get it on Steam. If you want to get it DRM-free, we encourage you to get it on itch.io. Okay, uh, there'll, yeah. There'll be other platforms soon coming as mm. well. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I, we would just love to hear what you think of Deep Six. So I think, think it will work very well on the tablet and stuff wouldn't it really? that's where we're going next is we're looking yeah. to see uh how we can make it the uh, the cutscenes are a little bit blocky on uh, on android so we're going to work on figuring out a solution for that mm. but the uh, the gameplay itself on android was surprisingly smooth we're yeah. really yeah. excited so that's probably going to be our next frontier excellent excellent well again thank you very very much for coming on the show You've been a fantastic guest ryan and we really open and honest about the uh the uh, the birth and creation of uh, and delivery if you, if you will of of uh, deep sixth and uh, yeah you're welcome to come back on to talk about your next game whatever that may be oh, we appreciate that thank you so much Chris.
And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to this show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com also don't forget to check out the computer game show which is the stable mate podcast shall we say of spong.com bye